Morning, everyone. It'd be great if you could uh, open up your Bibles this morning to the last chapter of Luke, or the quickest way is to find John and go back a couple of pages. So we're reading from Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me, for John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing up into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, it's good to be in your midst once again as we worship the Lord together and also attend and listen to his word. Now, I want to ask you a question. You are to answer honestly. How many of you realized this past Thursday that in the Christian church, the ascension of the Lord Jesus 
or celebrate it. Don't, don't lift up your hand because I probably wouldn't be able to count them anyway. It's ironic that in countries of Europe this past Thursday, they had a public holiday. In our neighboring country of Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim nation uh, in, in the whole world, there was a public holiday as the ascension of the prophet Jesus was remembered and celebrated and Christians gathered together in church. Now you may not be aware, but years ago we used to do the same. Thursday evening we go to church. Does anyone remember that? Or are we getting that old? Yeah, see? And then that petered out, and then churches said, well, let's do it on the Sunday after Ascension Day. And I'm not sure how many actually do that. Now, of course, we believe in the ascension of the Lord. That's not my point. But we don't emphasize it all that much. Now, I imagine that in the world, I mean, the ascension makes no sense. People don't believe in that. As a matter of fact, it's the butt of many jokes. Because what we read there in Luke 24, X1, I mean, these things simply don't happen. They can't happen. They will not happen. But for Christians, it's a different matter. And I sometimes ask myself, why do we stop celebrations at Easter? I mean, Christmas, we, we obviously we celebrated with great joy, and Easter also to some extent, and after that, Ascension Day, and then Sunday week, it's Pentecost. You see, if we stop at Easter... The story is not complete. Okay, Jesus has risen. Now what? Where is he? What is he doing? What's the plan? Well, following the resurrection, Jesus enters into the phase of glory. And some of our hymns express that very beautifully. For example, the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. Or, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. We'll sing that later. So that's where he is, on the throne. Hail the day that sees him rise to his throne beyond the skies. And so it should be a great encouragement to us, even though the event of the ascension, it seems somewhat anticlimactic. Jesus leaves his followers. Is he no longer concerned with the world? That's what many people think. That he leaves this world in its suffering, in its poverty, in its misery, in order to enjoy the glory of heaven. Well, how wrong can you be if you think that? The ascension is the sure sign 
that the gap between our world and the eternal realm has been bridged. Jesus is that bridge who connects the two and his ascension surely is an affirmation of that. And so I want to look at the event of the ascension this morning and I'll use three words to give it a bit of structure. First, preparation, then departure, and then benefit. Preparation, departure, benefit. The account of the ascension is very brief, simple, sober. Luke 24, verse 51, and Acts 9 put it this way. He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's it. Now, I'm sure we would like to have more information. And certainly my 12-year-old grandson would like to know, where did Jesus go? How could he survive in space? Is he like an astronaut or like Superman? And where is heaven anyway? Questions that are difficult to explain. And essentially it's only by faith that we accept this sober account of the ascension. There is a mystery here. We all realize that. And so it's also interesting that as the disciples were gazing up, a cloud came in between and that was it. For all you need to know is this, Acts 1.11, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's it. That's what we need to know. Jesus left his disciples, but he'll be back. He'll be back. Now, what happened just prior to the ascension? There was some preparatory work to be done, it seems. Just like when you go on a journey, there are always things you need to attend to. Don't forget your passport. Make sure you have your ticket, your visa, your money, and all the rest of it. So, what preparatory steps did Jesus take? Well, the first thing, he reinstated the Apostle Peter. John 21, 15 Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now you recall Peter, who had said, Lord, if all these others forsake you, don't worry, you can count on me. I will never leave you. And yet when the crunch came, he denied his Lord. I don't know him. Don't know what you're talking about. I'm not part of, the, of his group at all. And here Jesus graciously, lovingly restores the Apostle Peter. He didn't write him off after the denial. Jesus affirmed his love and gave him a very solemn task. And Peter and the confession he made. These were the rock on which the church was built. So three times Peter affirmed his love for Jesus. 
we can only really love the Lord Jesus if we are assured of his love. If we carry our burden of guilt or our burden of shame and think of ourselves as worthless and under the punishment of God, we will never affirm our love. We will never say, Lord, you know that I love you because I feared punishment. And I know what I'm talking about here. We will never love him unless, as Scripture says, build yourselves in the love of God. And it's only when you are assured of that that you can say, Lord, you know that I love you. Then secondly, for 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus stayed with his disciples. He taught his disciples. Acts 1 verse 3 puts it this way. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So, a six-week intensive on the kingdom of God. Okay, you talk about the kingdom of God for six weeks? Well, the kingdom of God encompasses the whole of Scripture and the whole of God's plan of salvation. And we all know how necessary it was for these disciples to be instructed. Because the gospel was going to be entrusted to them. So they better get it right. And you recall that before the resurrection, they just had little clue, little understanding of God's plans and purpose prior to the resurrection. They were confused. Who is this? What, what is the plan? What's all this talk about suffering and, and dying? How does that all fit in? And how inappropriate to talk about that. And when Jesus talked about rising again, they never even registered that at all. And so, to the people, uh, these two disciples on the way to Emmaus, already Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones! And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So that's the center of God's plan of salvation. Jesus and his work, foreshadowed in the Old Testament and now fulfilled and complete. So can you imagine for six weeks what kind of Bible study that would have been? I'm sure you would like to have been there. They would now understand the Scriptures and be prepared for gospel ministry, the ministry about the proclamation of the name of Jesus and repentance and forgiveness in his name. And then thirdly, Jesus instructed them to wait for the empowerment of the Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father 
is fulfilled. Wait, Jesus said. Because you need power. You need the power of the Spirit. Not human wisdom, not certain techniques, not money or organization. You need power for service. And unless the Spirit empowers you, you will not accomplish anything at all. So, these were some of the preparatory steps, if you like. And so the day for the departure arrived. Luke 24, 50, 51. He led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Now again, you notice how Jesus takes the initiative. He leads them out. He is in control. He is their shepherd, their teacher. And they simply, the disciples and the women, just followed. And then he raises his hand in blessing. I find it just a beautiful touch to the whole scene. Full of grace and truth. Unlike so many power-hungry people in our world who, who raise their, their hands and their fists, uh, threatening to rain destruction on others, Jesus lifts up his hands in peace. Even though he leaves them, he's always with them. That's how we should see Jesus. And I often imagine Jesus with outstretched hands. Particularly when we go through the difficult times. Hands outstretched in blessing. Caring. Providing. Now parting blessings, of course, were not uncommon in the Old Testament. You may recall how Jacob blessed all his sons one by one with a, a blessing particular to them. And we all know the ironic blessing, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you, and so on. Now we, we of course, used to uh, have that, what we call benediction with the, you know, the raised hands. We used to do that at the end of the service. By the way, I still do it but uh, many don't anymore for particular reasons, and that's fine. I find it a tremendously sim uh, important symbol, a meaningful symbol, to think that we are sent into the world with that wonderful sense of the blessing hands of our Savior, ever present with us. Now, this ascension was part of the plan of salvation. And as I said, without it, the plan is not complete. When Mary wanted to keep Jesus, you recall what Jesus said. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So ascension completes the task. The sacrifice of Christ is accepted 
by the Father as he receives his Son and exalts him to the highest place of honor. And you notice how these disciples responded. We are told they worshipped him. So they are now one with Thomas, who after the resurrection also said, My Lord and my God. They praised him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They didn't go to Jerusalem and, and grieve for a lost friend. They worshipped a risen, ascended Savior. Now what does that mean for us? What is the benefit? I'm echoing here what the Heidelberg Catechism says. It says this, How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he pleads our cause in heaven, in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven, a guarantee that Christ will take us. His members to himself in heaven. Then he sends his Spirit to us on earth for a further guarantee. By the Spirit's power we make the goal of our lives not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. So Jesus continues his ministry. First, in the broader sense, the Catechism says that Christ ascended to heaven to show that he is head of the church and the Father rules all things through him. And that's exactly what Scripture says, Hebrews 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And Ephesians 1 elaborates on this when it speaks about the purpose of God which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in him things in heaven and things on earth. So here we have the picture of the whole universe and the whole church united under the rule of Christ. But more specifically, he pleads our cause. He's our advocate, our barrister, if you like. And before the Father, he will acknowledge. He will acknowledge about you and me. Yes, Father, they are guilty. They do not deserve mercy. But look at my hands and feet and side. See the scars. I have suffered and died for them. So, Father, forgive them. He pleads our cause. And then he also prepares a room for his followers. John 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If, I, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So in other words, you can count on it. That's what I'm doing. All those who acknowledge my name. 
There is an eternal life guaranteed. The ascension makes this homecoming a reality. And then he sends his spirit. He helps us in our weakness. He's a merciful and faithful high priest who sympathizes with our weakness and gives mercy and grace in time of need. We may not always sense this, but this is true. That's the word of God says. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. So the ascension, brothers and sisters, gives us assurance of his presence with us, his power to bless, so that we in turn would make it our goal to please him by setting our minds on the things above where Christ is. We look up because he will return at the end of the age as triumphant king of the ages. Now you may not have given much thought to the ascension and what it entails, but in the light of some of the things that uh, we've considered and also from the catechism, don't you agree that the ascension is worth remembering and celebrating? It is a pivotal event in the ongoing plan of redemption, a pivotal event of our Christian faith because it gives us bright hope for the future. As the hymn writer says, Rejoice in glorious hope, for Christ the judge shall come to gather all his saints to their eternal home. We soon shall hear the archangel's voice, the trump of God shall sound, rejoice. So let's do that, congregation. Rejoice in glorious hope. Let's pray. Eternal God, we give thanks that you have highly exalted your Son, Jesus Christ, and that before him one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Lord, you gave us your Son, your beloved one, who was rejected, a Savior who appeared totally defeated, and yet through resurrection and ascension, we thank you that his kingship now gives light to our pathway. Thank you that you've set Jesus to rule over all things and that you're pleased to use your people as servants in your kingdom. And so we pray that by your Spirit, you would empower us to love, as we've been also reminded this morning, that you'll give us the power to love the unlovable, to love those who may be difficult, 
and to minister to those who are in need. Lord, we need your uh, power to be able to do that and we plead for it. And then we prayed it at last. You would bring us into your eternal realm where we may worship and adore you and be welcomed into everlasting joy through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.